And we're going to turn to the book of Ruth. Um, we're turning to Ruth chapter 4. You'll find that on page 269 if you're using a, a pew Bible. Ruth chapter 4. And we're reading from verse 1. Uh, this is God's word, and so we can trust it completely. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gates and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I've brought, bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's wife, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. 
Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amimadad, Amimadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Amen, and we thank God for his word. Uh, Let us pray before we come to consider this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you have not uh, left us in the dark, but you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through the words of Scripture. And so we ask that for your help, the help of your Spirit as we come to your word, may you teach us wonderful and glorious truths about the gospel. May you show us the Lord Jesus Christ and warm our hearts and so deepen our worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not much of a gardener, um, and well, the truth is I'm not really very practical at all, Um, but I've had to step up since I moved to Lisburn, uh, and we've had a a problem that I'm sure you're familiar with and have experienced yourself. Uh, We've had lots of weeds on the back lawn, uh, and so we've put down some weed killer, and there's lots of black, uh, dead patches of grass all over the lawn, uh, but then right next to it, there's also those colorful, fresh green patches of, of new grass coming through. Uh, in some places, there's dead and black patches of grass. And in other places, there's life and there's color and it's looking good. And, but it gives me some confidence uh, that those dead and black patches of grass, that eventually they'll give way and new life will come because I'm seeing how it's working in all our parts of the lawn. And it's a little bit like that as we come to Ruth chapter 4. What we see in Ruth chapter 4 is, there is there's been death and darkness and eventually now there is life. And because life and fullness comes to this little family, we can have confidence that the Lord is going to do the same in all our places, at all our times in history, and including in our lives too. But how does the Lord bring darkness and death? How does he bring about life out of darkness and death? And I've just realized my clicker's down here, so (laughs) sorry. Um, How does he do it? He does it through uh, his his redeemer. There's a redeemer. That's how he brings about life out of darkness and death. It's through his sacrificial redeemer, the Lord brings fullness of life. And what we discover here on a small scale points to what God is doing throughout history on a much bigger scale. But before we come to consider this redeemer, there's some things we need to consider about redemption in general. And the first thing we discover is the need of redemption. The storyline of love and redemption can be traced back through the Bible, through history, right back when the Israelites, God's people, were in slavery in Egypt, and they were groaning under slavery. They were crying out to God for help. And God heard them, and he saw them, and he came to their rescue. He rescued them from slavery, and he granted them freedom. And since then, God's people have referred to God as their redeemer, the one who rescued them from Israel. Uh, The the history of God's people, it begins with a story of redemption. And thereafter, 
that moment, redemption became a part of the fabric of God's people. Uh, we've been thinking about this over the last number of weeks. In God's law, he told them that he wanted them to be sort of redeemers too. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've thought about this, the, the idea of a guardian redeemer or a kingsman redeemer. Uh, for instance, when a, an Israelite family were, uh, became very poor and, and they had to sell their land to, to live off the, the money, uh, the nearest relative or the kingsman redeemer or guardian redeemer it would come along and rescue them by buying back the land. And so in the Old Testament, there was a kind of redemption of property. Uh, there was also redemption from slavery. If a family became so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery, again, a, a guardian redeemer would come along and, and buy back their freedom. This too was a kind of redemption. And then finally, the last kind of redemption that we thought about uh, the most is when, if a man died leaving his widow without any son, and this is the situation that Naomi and Ruth found themselves in, then the nearest male relative, usually the brother-in-law, would have to step in and marry the widow. And this would be so that they would be provided for and cared for, but also through this new marriage, uh, the family name would continue and their name in the promised land. And remember, we thought about how significant that is because back then, before Christ came, to have a share in the promised land is to have a share in God's promises of grace. And so as we come to chapter four, the context is redemption. And we need to understand that the need for redemption is the story of God's people. Right from Exodus to Ruth, from Ruth to today, we share this need of redemption. And we're not physically enslaved, nor are we like Naomi and Ruth, materially poor and, and begging and in need, but we're enslaved to sin and death. We need someone to come along and, and buy us back. We're trapped in this cycle of rebellion against God, of hurts and mistakes and regret and guilt. And without redemption, we're trapped with no way out. We're all enslaved to something or someone, whether we know it or not. We're enslaved to whatever directs our decisions, whatever dictates our emotions and our behavior. Whatever we believe will provide us with meaning, joy, and satisfaction. And without redemption, we're trapped. We're enslaved. Some of us are enslaved to the opinions of others. Others are enslaved to the pursuit of money or the desire for power. We're all enslaved to something or someone. But at the end of the day, only God can make us full. And therefore we need to be set free. We need someone to buy back our freedom. That's what redemption is. It's the purchase of our freedom. And then the second thing we must consider then is the cost of redemption. Redemption is the purchase of our freedom. And so let's consider the cost of redemption. At the end of chapter three, Boaz said that he's willing to take on the cost of redemption. Uh, but then remember back to last week, we were left with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, Boaz says he's willing to redeem, uh, but then we discover that there's an all our relative and he's more closely related and it's his right to redeem. Uh, and so Boaz, has to sort this matter out. 
And we're left wondering, will Boaz or this other relative redeem them? And in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 4, we figure out what happens. We find out. And the scene isn't a romantic wedding. It's more a legal transaction. It begins with Boaz heading up to the gate. And the gate is more like the courthouse or or the city hall. It's it's a place of legal decision-making. And Boaz sits down there. And just then, this closer relative happens to come by and Boaz says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And notice he's given no name. He's Mr. So-and-so. Anyway, Mr. So-and-so sits down and Boaz calls 10 elders of the city and they all sit down and and this is how business was conducted then. And Boaz says to Mr. So-and-so something like, and knew he has a field It belonged to our relative Elimelech and she's looking to sell the field and live off the money that's raised from selling the field. However, if there's a guardian redeemer, he could buy the land and keep it in the family. Mr. So-and-so says, yeah, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. At which point, if this was a rom-com, we would be screaming at the TV. We don't want... The, the, the closer relative, we like Boaz. We've learned all about him over the last number of weeks and he's kind and he's good. We want Boaz. But don't worry, because Mr. So-and-so backs out. Just before he signs on the dotted line, uh, Boaz says something like, there's one small thing in, in the small print. Uh, the land you're buying with It comes with a mother-in-law and a new wife. And if she has a son, eventually he'll have the right to the land that you're buying today. Um, It'll be his. So anyway, if you just sign here. So it turns out there's a cost to this. There's going to be many hungry mouths to feed. And if Ruth has a son, then the land will go to that son and not to this other relative, Mr. So-and-so's sons that he currently has. And so the cost is going to be felt by this nearer relative, Mr. So-and-so, and the cost will be felt by his family for years to come. The cost is too much. He goes back on his word. He says, I can't do it. And therefore he remains nameless. He proves to us whoever loves their life too much, in the end they lose their life. He proves to us, whoever tries to make a name for themselves in this life loses their name in the end. But whoever is willing to give up their life in the service of others, their names are never forgotten. Mr. So-and-so, he won't pay the cost. His name is forgotten. He remains nameless. However, Boaz, his name is remembered because he's willing to pay this cost of redemption. But why, we might wonder, does the writer of Ruth include this little story. Why doesn't he just cut to the chase and tell us that Boaz and Ruth marry? Well, the inclusion of Mr. So-and-so in this story is there to prove to us that this is a high cost. The cost is little, is not little. The cost of redemption is high. And that's why Mr. So-and-so walks away and yet Boaz is willing. In verses seven and eight, according to the customs of the day. There's a a sandal transaction. Uh, The deal is settled. 
and and Mr. So-and-so is unwilling, but Boaz is willing. Mr. So-and-so is uncommitted, but Boaz publicly in front of many witnesses has committed to paying this cost. And therefore his name is remembered. It reminds me of uh, one of the smallest parks in, in, in London. It's called Postman's Park. Um, I remember hearing about this a number of years ago and it was actually in a sermon. And uh, Postman's Park is in this park. There's a memorial at the back end of the park uh, that is, uh, it's a memorial to ordinary people who gave their lives in saving others. Uh, for example, listed there is Elizabeth Boxall, age 17, died of injuries received in trying to save a child from a runaway horse, June 20th, 1888. Alongside her name are many other names of people who gave their lives uh, to save others. Uh, people that gave their lives in saving others from burning buildings and, and things like that. They paid a great cost, and now all these years later, their names are still remembered. And in a similar way, Boaz pays this great cost and his name is remembered. But really, as we started to think about last week, Boaz is to point us forward to something much greater. And so really this name is here, uh, this story is here to remind us of the name of the Lord. Because after all, he paid the ultimate cost and therefore we should remember his name. He was willing and unwavering in his commitment to our redemption, despite the great cost. We've rejected God, we've said, I don't want anything to do with you, move aside. And there's a cost to our actions. God is just and justice will be served. But the Lord is willing and unwavering in his commitment to our redemption, all at his own great cost. The Lord Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant he was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He paid the cost, he emptied himself so that we could be made full. The cost of redemption. And then thirdly, the fullness of redemption. Very quickly, we move from a, a wedding scene to the birth of a child. Boaz and Ruth, they get married. Ruth becomes a wife. And the next thing, she has a son. It's the Lord who gives her conception. And notice in this story, there have been two great needs. There's been a famine, and so there's been the need of food. And the second great need is the need of a son. And really interestingly, the Lord's involvement in this story is only mentioned twice in four chapters. Firstly, back in chapter one, when the Lord provides food. And now secondly, in chapter four, when the Lord provides this son. And I think it proves to us that the Lord hasn't forgotten his people and that he is the only one who's able to meet our deepest needs. He can grant us fullness of life. He can, which is really good news because over the last couple of weeks, we thought about that theme, that sense of, of emptiness. We've related to that feeling of emptiness. We try to fill it with love and intimacy, with cheap frills and momentary joys, but in the end, there's something missing. There's an emptiness we can't fill. But the Lord, the creator of this world, he delights in filling empty and void spaces. And this story reminds us of that. Back in chapter one, Naomi 
first returns to the town, or, or she returns to the town, and the women of Bethlehem, they asked, is this Naomi? And remember she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me Mara, call me better. She's been left feeling better and empty. She's lost her husband and her two sons. But now in chapter four, a great reversal takes place. The same women of the town, now in verse, or now they praise the Lord, who this day has not left them without a guardian redeemer. It's interesting that the women congratulate Naomi and not Ruth. It's also interesting that Boaz and Ruth's child is now referred to the redeemer and not Boaz. But it shows us that it's through Ruth's son that the Lord will bless Naomi and the Lord will continue this family line. Ultimately, this child is gonna save the day. He'll be the answer to her sense of emptiness. Through him, death will give way to life. According to verse 15, through this child, Naomi's life will be restored in the sense that once again, she will experience joy and her heart will be renewed. In turn, the the women even say to Naomi that Ruth, who loves her, is better to her than seven sons, which is remarkable. Sons were highly prized. Seven is a number of perfection. Naomi's bitterness is caused by 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 the, the void that's left from having no sons. But now Ruth isn't more than enough for her. Through her kindness, Naomi's emptiness is filled. And one of the things that the story of Ruth records for us is is Naomi's journey from this sense of emptiness to fullness. It's underlined in the next sentence. If you look at verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. She was empty. She had no food. She had no children. She had nothing in her arms, but now her arms are full. And perhaps we wonder, is the Lord still in the business of making empty people full? Well, the answer is yes and not yet. Yes, in this life, Jesus offers us fullness and life. And it's true that when we belong to Jesus, we're richly blessed and made full but also not yet. In the sense that complete fullness and joy won't be experienced in a sin-cursed world. And it won't be experienced until we're with Jesus in the fullness of his presence. There's the fullness of life and joy and satisfaction yet to be experienced at the resurrection. And yet at the same time, we mustn't underestimate Jesus' words to us today. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's a sense in which even today, Jesus, the child from Bethlehem, brings us life and fullness and all at his own great cost. He can satisfy us with happiness, intimacy, joy, and meaning. He offers us fullness of joy and assurance of sins forgiven and life everlasting. So is the Lord still in the business of making empty people full. Yes, we can experience fullness today, but there's more yet to come. And we can be sure, just as the Lord brought Naomi from emptiness to fullness, 
Jesus will bring us the whole way from emptiness to fullness. Ruth 4 points us to the fullness of redemption. And therefore, finally, Ruth 4 shows us the need, the need of a redeemer. My clicker stopped working. Um, Ruth 4 shows us the need uh, we need, the redeemer we need. In chapter 4, there's a lot of looking ahead. We're invited to see the bigger picture. Uh, we're invited to see the bigger picture of redemption and the redeemer we need. Uh, this week, I was reminded of one of my uh, favorite movies as a child. It was called Ants. And in the movie Ants, the main character is Woody Allen, and he's on his quest to find the love of, of the princess ant. And, but as the movie ends, uh, the camera shot widens and it zooms out. Uh, you, some of you might remember this. And the camera zooms out, and we discover that all of the action of the movie and this little ant colony it's just a little part of Central Park, New York. And so it's, all the action has taken place in a much bigger park, in a much bigger city, in a much bigger world. And really, as this story reaches a conclusion, it does something similar. We see this story as part of a much bigger story in a much bigger world. In Ruth 4, there are lots of references that force us to look beyond Ruth and Boaz and it even begins back in verse 12 with the witnesses. When Boaz agrees to this costly redemption, all of the witnesses, they look to the future and they pray. In summary, they pray that Ruth will be like Rachel and Leah, who built up the family of Israel. In other words, they pray that Ruth will have a key role in redemptive history. They also pray that Boaz will act in a worthy manner and be known for his kindness and compassion and integrity. And finally, they pray that the Lord will bless them with a rich and a wonderful family line. And then when we come to verse 17, we discover how the Lord answers this prayer. Look with me at verse 17. The woman living there in Bethlehem said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then with this wonderful family tree. And it shows us what looks like a personal story of the Lord making empty people full turns out to be a much bigger story of the Lord bringing fullness and life to the whole world through his sacrificial redeemer. The story of this story began in the day of the judges. There's no king and now through this family, the Lord is raising up a king called David. And yet even then, we're to look beyond this king and to look much further down the line because through this same family, the Lord is bringing about the birth of an even better king, the sacrificial and willing redeemer we need, King Jesus. And so as this story reaches its conclusion, we see the Lord bring life and fullness through his sacrificial redeemer. But what we discover here on a small scale points us beyond to what God is doing throughout history on a much bigger scale. The story of Ruth shows us the Lord's super abundant kindness as he directs all of history to bring about life and fullness. Where there was once darkness and death, emptiness and bitterness, the Lord brings life and fullness. And if he can do it for this family, 
He can do it for us too. And so this morning we're encouraged to turn towards the sovereign Lord, the one who is supremely kind, the Lord who is able to make empty people full, the one who brings life out of darkness and death and bitterness and emptiness. And how does he do it? There's a sacrificial redeemer. His name is King Jesus. He willingly pays the cost and he suffers the better affliction of God so that we can experience life and life in its fullness. Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you as we've journeyed through the book of Ruth, uh, that you've reminded us of the harsh and broken realities of life. But Lord, that you've encouraged us to trust in you. As you, as you have shown us that you are the sovereign Lord, the God who is abundantly kind and good and directing all of world history towards the fullness of redemption. We thank you that there is a redeemer. His name is Jesus, King Jesus, who has paid a great cost on our behalf so that we can experience fullness of life and life everlasting. And so help us as we leave here, warm our hearts and help us to trust more fully in our Redeemer, our King, King Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.